He was a hero to some, a villain to others. And wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex. But he did have two companions. One was death itself. The other, the acrid smell of gun smoke. Hex and violence. Oh boy, it's been a long, long time since we've done one of these episodes. And every single time we come back to the well, I realize how much I love Hex. Me too. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is I think you always kind of go, oh, okay, I don't know, how much am I in the mood for this? And you're like, once you start, you're like, I'm I'm really in the mood for this. <laughs> it has been over two and a half years since no. we released an episode of Hex and Violence. Really? Wow, we're really underusing the James Wetzel score, though. Because our, our theme song is amazing. We should play it more. More often. <laughs> yes. And I've just, it's been a long time since I've got to enjoy the adventures of our hideously scarred, murderous cowboy. <laughs> and we are going into a new era of Hex. Right. That Jonah Hex, we can, we've said before, sort of breaks down into three eras. There is the sort of classic era, which is the ones from the 1970s through the 1980s. 80s, written by, um, for the most part, he took on pretty early. I mean, John Albano created him, mm-hmm. but mostly written by Michael Fleischer, who wrote him up until his character sort of stopped being published in 87, when they transported him for a couple of years into a post-apocalyptic Mad Max future. <laughs> um, but for the most part, still traveling the wasteland shooting people. And uh, now we are into the year 1993, which is the the Jonah Hex Vertigo relaunch. Yeah, and, and I didn't know before. I mean, I I had the Hex series, the post-apocalyptic one, and I worked at the comic book store at this time, and I didn't even know about this. I had no idea that Vertigo was redoing him. And the difference between this character, this sort of iteration of Hex and the sort of original is not huge, but it's stark. It's a bit stark. Yeah. I mean, you get to see Jonah Hex uh, finally get out from under the Comics Code Authority. Yes. I mean, clearly he's killing people in the <laughs> 1970s comics. Right. But not like this. <laughs> in in this, you actually get to see bullet hit body. You get to see awful shit happen. But it's also sort of a reimagining of Hex as a weird Western sort of sci-fi horror kind of character where he's definitely in the Old West, but there's a supernatural element that goes into these stories. So it's so fascinating because uh, I only knew about this sort of by osmosis from you. So the Joe Lansdale, who is the writer on this, has a preface to uh, to Two Gun Mojo. And his preface is that he just remembered at reading them as a kid and thought, oh, yeah, there had to have been these supernatural elements in there. And he was surprised as an adult to go back and read it and to be like, oh, wait, this is I, I this wasn't happened at all. It's, it's just a straight story. There's yeah. no supernatural garbage in yeah. it at all. The, the classic Hex stories was just a straight up spaghetti Western. So um, he started the first of three uh, Vertigo miniseries. The first one is like 93. The second one was 95. And then the last one was in 1999. I, Hex is one of those characters. I don't think he ever sells super well, but mm. I think he's beloved by writers. And he's got a fan base among among readers as well. But he's never going to have the sort of Batman level fandom. No, no. And this has been one of those things where, you know, he 
is published for a while. He goes away for maybe a decade and then he comes back. And I think the next time after these series ended was probably 2007 through 2013 or so hmm. when he finally came back again. Um, the This series that we're going to be covering today, uh, written, like you mentioned, by Joe R. Lansdale, who is a crime novelist, who also wrote the novella that the movie Bubba Hotep is based off of. <laughs> I didn't know that. And art by Timothy Truman, who Timothy Truman has done a lot of sort of Western war horror type comics, and it kind of shows in his style, which is a, kind of a gritty style. And this is uh, issues one through five of Jonah Hex, Two Gun Mojo. Can I ask you a question going into this? Because you mentioned uh, Timothy Truman as the as the penciler, but there also is Sam Klansman who's doing the inking on this as well. And cure me of my philistinism here. Um, how much of the sort of artistic intent of what shows up on the page gets taken over by the inker? Because I know they don't do this anymore, right? This is not a case where you have a second body. Oh, you still do. Oh, do you? Um, I think with like everything, the answer to your question is it depends. Yeah. It depends on the inker. It depends on the penciler. It depends on the relationship. There are some uh, artists who draw very loosely and the the inker has to step in and do a lot of the finished art. And then there are artists who tend to do very finished looking pencils and Mm. then you're just kind of going over it. And there are some inkers that are kind of overwhelming with their style. And there are some that kind of hold back and just stick to the original pencils. Mm. Everyone has their own kind of style. And sometimes there are mix and matches that work really well. And there's some people whose art styles are so different (laughs) that they probably shouldn't go together at all. I, I I have such an untrained eye to this sort of, I don't actually end up knowing, but I do know that um, this book does really well with having a large part of it take place during the nighttime. And I'm sure that's also the purview of the inker as well. Absolutely. Should we get right into the recap? Let's do it. Hex, in the midst of being hanged. (laughs) Which which I'm sure has happened quite a few times in his life. Yeah, this is is a bit of a misunderstanding, but it's really not. He really has killed these guys' sister. Mm Mm-hmm. But uh, they actually are criminals that he's hunting down, and they're about to hang him, and he's rescued by Slogo Smith. <laughs> he kind of looks like a Wilford Brimley character. A he's kind bit. of like a the prospector Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> and who says he his eyesight isn't as good as it used to be, but he's able to take out like three or four of these guys from what a hilltop that must be a hundred yards away. Yeah, it's a, he misses a couple times. Um, <laughs> he it manages to hit Hex's horse in the head, <laughs> leading him to get hanged a little bit faster. But he does cut him down. Uh, but he kills all of these guys, and yeah. it turns out he's a fellow bounty hunter. Um, tracking these guys down. And Hex feels a little bit like he owes this guy, so he follows him into the town of Mud Creek, Texas, to hang out with him for a bit and sort of make it up to him for saving his life. So uh, Mud Creek is kind of a shithole. Yeah, well, from the beginning, you're seeing people selling photographs of corpses. I guess they're outlaws, right? So, which yeah. is why they're worth taking pictures of. So th- before Twitter existed, uh, <laughs> you actually had to buy the photographs of people being monsters individually. <laughs> and uh, it turns out that these guys have killed a gang that was in town. Um, and I, unfortunately, I believe... It says it's the gang that they were just killing. And Slogo, by the way, has been, you know, it's its hard to carry all these bodies around. So he just lopped off their heads <laughs> and he's got them in a sack to sell to the sheriff. But unfortunately, the town, I guess their civic duty is a little bit strong 
because um, they already said they killed that gang. That somebody yeah. walked out of the saloon and they just murdered a bunch of innocent people. They took the money and drank all the money as in liquor, and then that they were now still on that high, I guess. Yeah, that everyone's still a little bit happy. We're yeah. selling <laughs> selling postcards of dead men, and I think the guy tries to sell some of these. He's got an amazing checkered suit on, by the way. <laughs> tries to sell this to Hex, and. Uh, and Hex is like, I don't want it. There's blood all over it. And he's like, well, what blood are you talking about? He's like, yawn if you don't leave me alone. <laughs> um, it's it's pretty great. So they go into into town. And now they're kind of stuck there for a few days because it's going to take a while for the sheriff to get this money together. It, it, so we should note that Hex is recognized immediately when he gets into town. Yeah, it's hard to miss him. Yeah. I mean, half of his face is burnt off. But he so, is a bit of a celebrity murderer. He is. Someone in the bystander says he's killed more men than hell has souls. Yeah, because the, the photographer that. is like giving him kind of, kind of like, oh, but this is just. And the guy's like, you know, dude, you know, you're lucky. <laughs> you're lucky he just threatened you because, uh, yeah, this is a man who this is a man who kills. Uh, so they decide to to hang out in town for a couple of days to to ride that out, and um, they decide to share a hotel room. This does. They're like, okay, they, they can sort of live with this. These are guys who are used to sleeping outdoors. Uh, well, before they share the hotel room, they're drinking together, and the two two assholes uh, start harassing this Native American woman who's a bartender, and they like are trying to get her to like lick their boots. Yeah, and he so like, Hex... pours the drink out on the counter to yeah. try to to go. Oh, you cleaning up with your tongue, lady, or something <laughs> like that. And just Hex is just like not having this shit. It's, which is funny because it's not like the it's not. Hex's personal honor at all. He just intervenes because he doesn't like them being assholes. Yeah. And he forces them at gunpoint to lick each other's boots. Yes. <laughs> which is fucking fantastic. And he just bash one of them with the back of the head with a bottle. <laughs> so it's it's these guys, honestly, in terms of, of Hex justice being dispensed, this these guys got off easy. Yeah. And uh they're just you know, they're they're lucky to not be dead. <laughs> so uh later uh Hex and Slogo go to the um the town hotel. And to sleep it off, he finds out really quickly that Slogo snores like like a thunderstorm and tosses him out on his ass. And I just I love it. Um I I just love the idea of this like Santa Claus man being thrown out of the <laughs> hotel room in a union suit. It's uh this so is, this is the one part of the where I noticed how the uh I don't know if it was the pencil or the inker that did this where there are just these handwritten signs all over the place that are clearly afterthoughts, right, for the proprietors. And when he gets thrown out, there's there's a sign outside of Hex's door that says, no spitting in the hall. Yeah. Because it's just like, oh, I guess this is a problem for the, the the innkeeper, is that people just spit all over the place. This is like a class of people that this, yeah. this establishment is used to. But this is the first <laughs> of many of these kind of handwritten signs throughout this entire miniseries, where frequently they're, they're written and spelled incorrectly. Correctly and right. spelt phonetically. Even in one point, Hex's name is is spelt out on a pickle barrel, and it's spelt H E C K S. <laughs> but um, what I what I kind of love in this is, you know, it's just this is a dirty western. Oh yeah, for sure. This this is a western that is more along the lines. I think Deadwood had come out at this point. Uh, this is not a Roy Rogers happy Western. There are no singing cowboys in the world of Jonah Hex, especially no. now that he's under the banner of Vertigo. <laughs> and uh, it, I mean, we, we should point out, too, that also the big, big deal uh, with Vertigo, too, is like, um, I don't think you could have ever done a bag of severed heads that is like b black and red from the blood of of corpses. 
being brought into town. I don't think they could have done that before. And they don't look like action figure heads. They're kind of bloated in the way that a cutoff head yeah. looks, where they just look. There, I mean, there are so many bloated corpses in this. In this. Uh, and somewhat realistic too as well yeah it's there's a lot of just i mean this it, this is a place where this story kind of reminded me in its execution a bit like the first conan the barbarian movie with arnold mm, sure is that people are made out of like blood and meat <laughs> and that meat breaks when you shoot it with bullets and knives right and it's just the human body is just gross and chunky <laughs> and um vertigo is definitely a place where suddenly Jonah Hex has always killed people, but there's always been a little bit of a, oh, my hand goes over the bullet hole sort of line. Right. And the guy sort of dies or he gets shot off camera or we find a way to sort of make it work under the the banner of the comics code. But uh, he's freed now. And I don't think he's ever gone back under that banner. Um, he's always been a non-code book since this point. Sure. But uh, yeah, so... So Slogo goes to sleep it off in the barn with the horses, and it turns out this is the same barn where they're storing those bodies that they're selling um, a, to get a good look at for a nickel. Right. <laughs> and I think one of the people who's there mining the corpses goes in there, and he's just limping like, and he's like, hey, you looking at that corpse to Slogo? And he's like, you better give me a nickel for that. You got a good look. Yeah. And he just, and at that point, Slogo is just like, put it on Hex's tab. <laughs> and uh, oh, it's it's great. So. So he's sleeping in a barn with horses, but also like bullet ridden corpses. Mm -hmm. And in the night, it turns out there is a body thief and the body thief is what well, we will learn. His name is Doc Cross uh, Williams. Mm -hmm. Doc Cross Williams looks like he should have been played by M. Emmett Walsh. I had the note, but it wasn't uh, M. Emmett Walsh. He almost looks like he should be played for the guy who played Tote in Raiders of the Lost Ark. A little bit He's of that. He's got kind of a squishy, weird little round face with beady little eyes, except he has, the teeth look like they're sharpened down to points, so he kind of has a goblin visage to him i kind of said that he's like he's got an element of of renfield from dracula sure he's got a little bit of grima worm tongue to him mm -hmm. but he is this skeevy guy who wears like these aviator goggles and he has a thrown together wizard costume <laughs> where replete, replete with a tall hat with like moons and stars on it the man yeah. purple you know and it's it's de clearly self-made because i mean visibly in the art there's like stitches on these moons and stars and he wears this in like a cape and he's got a essentially sort of a menagerie of sort of what they would have called a freak show <laughs> following him around. Yep. Um, and one of these guys, Slogo, wakes up to see a dead man with a handgun pointed at him. And he gets into a bit of a, a, a gunfight. He shoots this corpse to pieces to no effect. And that's when the second of, of these uh, zombies steps out of the shadows and it's zombie Wild Bill Hickok. <laughs> with uh, with it's, it's so it's so unsettling because I think there are wires that would have sewed his mouth shut before. Yeah, and so he definitely definitely does not look alive. He's pickled. Yeah, <laughs> I mean he he looks, and then we find this later that he's being he's literally being kept in pickle barrels to keep him fresh. That he may be a zombie, but decomposition is still a thing that happens. <laughs> and there's going to be a point at which he can't keep this guy alive. To, to wander around and be his bodyguard. But it is, it is literally Wild Bill Hickok having been grave robbed and reanimated. <laughs> um, I, oh, it's, it's nice and creepy because he's, because he's kind of glazed red eyes and uh, he guns the 
fuck out of uh, Slogo Smith. I mean, Slogo tries to throw a dagger at him, and the obviously his reflexes are not adversely affected because he catches the dagger between his two revolvers. Yeah, and then shoots him. And then... He has like a straight up undead John Wick, <laughs> and he is like this unstoppable corpse man uh, with an amazing hat and mustache. And they, of course, don't say anything. I mean, there's no dialogue coming from the zombies. They are exactly what you would expect as sort of un- unthinking monsters. Yeah, right. I kind of love the the zombies in this because at first you don't know some of them are zombies. Uh, there is a little person juggler who um, I believe he's called Half Pint mm-hmm. and he wears over his head at all times a jack-o'-lantern, <laughs> which is nice and just eerie. He looks like something out of a 1980s horror movie. And then there's a Ramona, who's a heavyset woman who's surprisingly agile. And then there's, the, they call him the tall painted man, who's a seven foot tall tattooed guy. And uh, this is sort of his menagerie. We don't know they're all zombies at first. But it turns out once this guy um, got himself uh, a, a Bill Hickok in his collection, he wanted to catch them all. <laughs> and so he goes from town to town. We find this out later that he's like a snake oil salesman a grave robber and he's like a like a traveling carny yeah, so he's, he's like a huckster it was it is great because he has his little um his little placard and it says doc cross williams alchemist physician paraphysicist <laughs> i just love that they love that they included those three things he's like a really skeevy old west uh, john constantine yeah. where there's a sense that he's probably gone all over the world and he's picked up but did he say like he he learned the trick of reanimating the dead in either haiti or uh was it like gladedale texas <laughs> He doesn't really remember which, but it was hot and sticky. So he's, he's traveled around. Oh, and and he's just used bits and pieces of all of this knowledge to throw together this serum or something, right? Yeah. yeah. And he travels around selling snake oil, um, putting on demonstrations with his various zombies who all have various talents, and uh, stealing corpses and killing people. <laughs> so Slogo's dead. Um, uh, Hex comes in, attempted to come to the rescue because shots have been fired. Um, he takes a bullet to the fucking skull yes, that, that nails him. It, gl- it clearly glances off of his skull because it's not like he loses any brains. It's no. just, yeah. And this is the thing we find with Hex. And already we were fi- we're kind of following a pattern that we've seen with Jonah Hex through his entirety, which is that he's nigh impossible to kill. Right. He's easy to beat the fuck out of, but he's impossible to kill. And if you're his friend or you show him kindness in any way, chances are you're going to eat a bullet. And we've seen that with Slogo Smith so far. Yeah, I love Slogo, and I think at that point too, um, we have that moment after he comes to, and Slogo is sort of dying of all these. God, he's got a shot like seven or eight times. <laughs> um, he says, in, close to his dying breath, he's like, "Ah, oh, you owe them a nickel for for me looking at them corpses." And right. he's like, "You son of a bitch." I, well, just, it's also that the dialogue is great too because Slogo is trying to say his his sort of his last words and he's like, Well, you remember me? And he's like, Probably not. He's like, Well, what about when you're breaking wind? And he's like, Maybe. Maybe I will. Well, I love it uh uh that the last thing he says is, Will you shoot out their goddamn eyes for me, the people who killed me? And Hex's response is, I was gonna do that anyways on account of they embarrassed me. <laughs> so you know it was already in his plan that they were gonna that the that the people who shot him were gonna get fucked. Yeah, that's the thing I noticed with Hex, and we see this too with the the Native American bartender, is that it's always personal. He's not Batman, he's not going out looking for injustice to battle. It's injustice happens around him because the world of Jonah Hex is shit. 
there's almost this nihilistic quality to how awful human beings are. And it, this is the point where this story in particular, too, but I guess you could say Jonah Hex in, in general, uh, I can see some comparisons to Conan. Yeah. Where he's got his own, he's doing his own thing and horrible shit happens in front of him. And he has a tendency to side with the underdog. He has a tendency to side with the bullied. And if somebody is a fancy type, somebody who comes from <laughs> inherited wealth, who has a big house, and who thinks that uh, Jonah Hex is just some dumb hick that he can pay to do his dirty work, he frequently underestimates how smart and how capable Hex is. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a lot of that going on. And this felt kind of like a Conan story to some degree. Yeah, I'd say so. He's he uh, he has the he still has the bit about him where he's not magnanimous. No. He's not going out of his way, but he also uh, what was it that he's got a um, he's got a back and forth with he's got a back and forth with Slogo when he first meets him is that um, they're sort of divvying up because Slogo has told him oh this gang the Th Thacker Thacker gang I think is who who were trying to lynch um, Hex at the very beginning um, he's trying to say like oh I guess you could divvy up the Slogo says we could divvy up these. Um, uh, the loot, right? And Hex is, like, pockets. Yeah, Hex is like, I don't loot corpses, but I will take this horse, the only horse that you didn't kill because you killed mine. <laughs> um, and Slogo says, well, what if I mind? And then he's, then Hex says, well, re I reckon we've got another problem. <laughs> yeah. And then Slogo just backs off because he's yeah. like, in Hex's world, even if you were going to say something like that to him, even though Slogo just saved his life, he would shoot him on the spot. If yeah. he's going to be like, you're going to turn your gun on me because I need this horse to get back, you're dying. But this kind of comes no, back to... There's no patience whatsoever, right? I, the with Hex is that he he doesn't care how sympathetic you are, and he frequently will sympathize even with people who are trying to kill him, and we'll see a lot of that later in this story, mm -hmm. but that's not going to stop him from murdering you if you try to kill him. He's right. like, yeah, I, I don't begrudge your anger at me. I understand why you would want to kill me, and I don't take it personally, but when you do try to kill me, oh, fuck yeah, I will kill you back. <laughs> and there's a lot of that in him where yeah. he won't stop. Uh, it won't stop him because he just he's not going to let himself die because he feels bad for somebody. No. But he's he, he does, like we mentioned in that, that first story that we did where uh, Jonah Hex meets that uh, rich guy who hires him to find his missing son. Mm -hmm. That guy was a big game hunter who had oh, all yeah. of these big animal trophies in his house. And one of them is giant elephant tusks. And um, it turns out that the man who's in a wheelchair, the reason he's in that wheelchair is hunting that elephant. And uh, he's just like, well, you know, he killed the elephant, but it also put him in a chair. And Hex says to his face, sounds fair. <laughs> yeah. Because that's his general attitude. Yep. It's, it only makes sense that that elephant would try to kill you back. Yep. So what I love here is that Hex is found over the body of his uh, business partner, riddled with bullets, holding a gun himself um, by the townsfolk who heard all of the shots. Of course, they make the obvious assumption and throw his ass in jail. Right. So this is the end of the first issue, and I was surprised because at this moment, Hex has not killed anyone yet. This is the this is the most restrained yeah. <laughs> uh, that he's gotten. If he he would have killed some people if he hadn't gotten that shot to the head. So he's he's bleeding there, and for the rest of the issue, the rest of the miniseries, he's wearing this sort of bandage around his head. Mm -hmm. But um, 
Yeah, the, I was doing the kill count uh, for this episode, and went, "Oh, <laughs> yeah. I haven't, I yep. haven't." There's been a lot of people killed in this issue, yep. and a lot of people brutalized. He does beat that that guy with the bottle and force him to lick the other guy's boots, but so far, uh, no one has lost their life. People have lost their lives around him, including Slogo, um, but not at Hex's hands. Yeah. It's unusual. It's, it's very unusual. unusual. So they throw Hex in jail, and I guess this town loves a hanging. I mean, maybe that's why they were so excited to kill those other people wrongfully. <laughs> um, but, I mean, they're striking up the band. There's, like, a, a sign that says, like, lemonade, uh, prairie oysters. Uh, those, you, are those you testicles? Are they testicles? No, they're, they're Rocky Mountain oysters. Okay, that's what so, I thought. So prairie oysters, that means, you know, you're roasting up uh, basically bull testicles. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe they're delicious. I've never had them, but there's a part of me on a gut level. It's like the same thing when I know, I know on a level it's better for us to eat crickets than beef, but I don't think I could make myself <laughs> eat crickets. Um, there's just that... that emotional reaction that I don't think I'll be able to get past. Fair and enough. they're also selling smelling salts for the ladies. <laughs> but the idea that just this public killing is such, it's like... It's, it animates the entire town. Oh, it's the thing they've been looking forward to all year. <laughs> it's, they, they just love murder. And they, um, they're they ready. They're building a scaffold outside because the, the town sheriff um, sent out um, a letter to a judge. And I guess he's busy dealing with another hanging. Right. <laughs> and uh, busy. Yeah. It's busy in the West. Yeah, it's, you have to travel around a lot. You're kind of like a Ronin judge right. when there's not a lot of, I mean, there's not that many judges, I imagine. It's the circuit circuit court, man. They got to go on the circuit. But if you notice that the, uh, the letter that he sends back um, in the main heading of the letter, it just says, go on and hang him. <laughs> this is, uh, this is pr- uh, the way that uh, due process works sure. in the world of Jonah Hex. Well, then if you read the postscript, it's yes. basically, you can feel free to divvy up his... Um, his possessions but be fair because those belong to the state of texas through me through me the judge the judge wants to know that he's got to have his piece too he's a crooked judge (laughs) so yeah there's that element too that hex is the only person who's not digging through a dead man's pockets in this story and it's weird because it changes my opinion because how many video games are you digging through a dead man's pockets right that's true you're like oh there's a couple coins and an apple in there it's like there's no fucking way (laughs) you're gonna eat that apple but in video games you do so um so Jonah Hex is in jail. He's he's looking at them building a, uh, a scaffold outside for hanging him. He's not getting a trial. They've they're nope. happy to just say he did it. And the judge had comes up with a couple possibly plausible stories. Yeah, you were fighting over the cost of the money when it came in. Whatever, we right. don't care. Um, and you shot him. And um, what I kind of love in this moment too is that Hex is just kind of like. If there's an element that he just feels kind of resigned to this. Mm-hmm. He he will fight his way out of it if he can, but he's just kind of like, that's a stupid way to die. And it just seems kind of expected the way he kind of takes it. You, you also get the sense of that for where Hex is right there inside the jail cell, he's not going to be able to do anything. But there he might be so relaxed because he knows that as soon as he leaves the cell, it's a different story. Yeah. Yeah. The minute he can get his hand on on anything, like a person, uh, <laughs> he he has leverage to get out of there. But behind those bars he can't do a lot. Yeah. That's when uh the Native American woman that him and Slogo rescue come in and without saying anything, just starts kind of disrobing for the sheriff who thinks it must be his birthday present. <laughs> this is part of being a crooked cop is that you right. don't really care or question when stuff sort of falls into your lap. 
and uh, he starts to undress himself, and she just shoots him between the fucking eyes. <laughs> and uh, again, really- another death. And Jonah Hex did not pull the trigger. No, yeah. no. There's a lot of he's he's death adjacent, <laughs> but so far uh, nobody well, de- has well, died. Well, death is his constant companion. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Yeah. I mean, they really live up to that in this story. Uh, but that's about to change because Hex is about to make up for lost time. Um, the Native American woman breaks him out of the cell. And um, Hex goes to the sheriff's armory. And you know how when you're like playing a GTA game and you open up the weapon wheel and you can look at all the choices? <laughs> and now imagine if you could visibly wear almost all of those at once. <laughs> I think I counted Hex has at least three revolvers on him. He's got a, a sawed-off levered action shotgun, which is the same one that Arnold has in Terminator 2, <laughs> which was a nice little touch. And... Um, he is, I think he's got a knife. He's, he's ready to go. Then begins what is quite possibly a bloodbath worthy of John Matrix from Commando <laughs> because he kills himself some town folk. Yeah, so this is when this is when it really ends up starting. So he's the, the Native American woman is on the back of the horse and they're riding away. And of course, everyone is armed. Right? Everyone. So all the townsfolk is armed and he just fucking plows his way through everyone. He shoots so many people. Um, he is dual wielding the shotgun and one of the revolvers. He rides a guy down. He blasts a guy. There's a guy who gets shot in the dick, which yes. is wonderful because uh, people start opening fire, including the guy who was harassing the Native American woman before, who shoots at Hex, misses, hits an old woman. Yeah. And then they were like, hey, Hex killed that old woman. He, he killed grandma. Um he kills at least five people on his way out of town. The bartender uh, from the saloon before shoots the Native American woman in the back while they're riding away. Hex turns a horse around, double backs, <laughs> and shoots this guy in the chest and the dick, wielding both <laughs> guns and having the reins of the horse in his mouth at the same time, kind of riding the guy down. Oh, I think the I think the best death, of course, is the the guy who's going to take a picture of the hanging because oh. this is the industry of this town is how beautiful you know these what do you say these these pictures sell even better than naked ladies yeah. you know because make sure those necks stretch and that guy with the uh, the checkered suit is trying to get the photographer to set up his camera so he can be photographed shooting <laughs> hex and hex puts him out between the eyes yes and I I love that uh, I love that the, the, the photographer takes it even though he is not going to do anything to threaten his life but just because hex is fucking pissed at how much of an asshole this guy is yeah he takes him out oh there's uh, it's it is bloody and you just imagine okay so mud creek texas is it's not a big town what percentage of the town population do you think hex has just dispatched it had to have been over half it's it is it is bad what he does <laughs> this this town population if if oh my god the, the, the town electorate has changed so whoever <laughs> takes over as the new sheriff has a has a different group of people there's a different boundary for getting elected in this town because at least i mean at least a third of them are now dead I, the Mud Creek thing is so interesting to me because what's the the your intro to it is um, the industry of the Undertaker and people selling pictures of these you know be, uh, exhibiting and exploiting these corpses of of infamous outlaws and it ends with like him them building like the biggest the best gallows ever like is the he's, he, hex is like i haven't seen this much industry since my town my little town built its first whorehouse and i didn't enjoy that i'm not enjoying this one quite as much right yeah um the the whole 
uh, setup to what will follow later with Doc Cross is um, they're using the daguerreotype to revive the dead, right? They're using a, the, a camera to monetize like people's morbid fascinations to morbid fascination of how much people love death and love the idea of um, these the outlaws catching their finally catching their comeuppance, and that is uh, that is the sin that this town has committed that makes it okay for Jonah Hex to just mow them all down. Yeah. Right? Yeah. These are not good people. They've already killed some innocent people walking out of the saloon thinking they looked a little bit, they got really excited at the chance that they get to kill some outlaws. This is not out of a sense of, of town civic pride or no, anything. No, this is all about, this is an excuse to take a life. But I love how this, that whole idea of the exploitation of corpses ends up mirroring you, the reveal for Doc Cross, because yeah. that's his thing, too, is he's like, well, I'm just exploiting their death as well, yeah. except in my case, it's something totally different. Yeah, it's way more morbid, and it's right. way grosser, and uh, he gets grosser as the series kind of goes on, too. I was yeah. thinking, he could be played by Patton Oswalt. <laughs> I think <laughs> I Patton could, Oswalt would have fun with this character. I could see that. So, um, Hex takes off into the woods, and... Then another old lady who is really excited basically starts a, a mob together, to, like throws a posse together to go kill Hex, leads to another fight in the woods. Yeah, and this one he's definitely doing his best John Rambo. Yeah, where this... as soon as they entered the woods, they they were done for. There's he was going to be able to he put it, he put his kill box up for sure. Yeah, the the uh, the Native American woman who shot he sends her ahead, says I'll catch up with you. Um, Hex get, dives down on one of them from a tree <laughs> and shoots him in the fucking head. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it just, it is, it is a bit of a bloodbath. He, he shoots the old woman. He shoots like two other guys, including the guy from the bar earlier, um, and manages to escape. And they, they've decided that, you know, death isn't that much fun <laughs> and decide not to follow him. But for the rest of this series, and we never really see this get fully resolved, Hex is now a fugitive. Right. And it's this fact that he doesn't really live in quote unquote civilization that makes it a lot harder for that to get carried around. We don't have like a full on APB system in the old West. Well, it's clear though, just by, like I said before, when people's had their reputation of how many men that he had killed, um, the people know that that's what Hex is known for, but no one is no one is uh, stepping up to try to stop Hex to make, keep him accountable for the people he's killed. No one is doing that. Yeah, it's the fact that there's a job that exists where he can essentially kill people to this degree and it's totally legal because of the people he chooses to kill. That they're all wanted outlaws. Well, I'm also saying that just by Hex's reputation, yeah. who are who is going to try to volunteer to race down the bounty for Jonah Hex. Oh, God. Not many. And it turns out there are some, yeah. <laughs> um, and it ends the way you think. Yeah. So uh, Hex decides to double back at night to collect Slogo's body and finds that it's in the town dump. Mm-hmm. And he's even kind of frozen in sort of like a, almost a statue kind of, with his hand up like waving. So he ties it to the back of his horse. <laughs> and he's sort of sitting there covered in flies with his friend and goes to a nearby town and pays a, a blacksmith to bury him for him. Which I love this part too, is he, he steps inside. The blacksmith is also the town undertaker. And he says, my, my friend's out back. I want you to give him a decent burial. Um, if you, you can, if you can, 
if you find money on his body, that can be your payment. And the guy says, no, I'm, I need to get paid. And he said, well, then he tries to appeal to his like charity. He's like, well, if you're a good Christian man, couldn't you just bury this guy out of, uh, out of your sense of uh, charity? And he says, nope. And then, and then he's like, oh, what does he say? This, he says, you think I'm some kind of asshole? And then he goes, fair enough. He's like, okay. <laughs> so Jonah Hex pays him. And still know? says he can keep whatever's in the guy's right. pockets. But then Jonah Hex is very careful to follow it up with saying, if he's not buried right, I'm going to come back and put you in a box. Put one of your own boxes. Yes. And then and then the sweat rolling down his face is like, this guy's not going yeah. to, he's not going to di- going to diverge, diverge at all. Yeah. He's, Hex is, Hex always has the, the air of, of violence about him. And it's sort of, he has the reputation. I mean, he's a bounty hunter, but people never welcome him as a hero because he's essentially like a legal serial killer to a lot of people. That's the way they react to him. And there's a sense that this guy is not bluffing. He will come back and right. kill me because everything with Hex is personal. I think doesn't he doesn't he go into the saloon to find the undertaker and immediately as he steps forward in the saloon somebody calls him on his confederate uniform and he just punches him punches him right in the yeah. face he, and notice this guy's wearing still wearing a union union outfit and stuff like that and yeah it's hex always has that about him and I think on some level we talked about this before with his his union uh, his uh, confederate uniform is I think he wants people to give him shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we've said this before, that he's a lot like um, the Hound from Game of Thrones. That he's somebody who hates a lot about himself, knows that people hate and are afraid of him, and feels that he deserves it. So he's not going to give himself an easy out. Um, I do kind of like the the visual style of Hex in this miniseries. He's changed up a bit. He's less clean cut. His hair is longer. Mm-hmm. Um, he has sort of a braid in his hair on one side. His jacket is much more raggedy yep. than we're used to seeing. Yep. You do you do get the sense with his with his outfit that he has been shot at and fallen on the ground and dragged through the mud, and he's done his best to try to keep that jacket alive. You know, because yeah. obviously over a few years uh, being chased out of towns and having to go slit people's throats in the middle of the night, that jacket is probably going to have gone away by now if he had to take care of it. Yeah, it's it's something that's definitely something that he's made an effort to. And I think we said this before, there's a lot of the the inglorious bastards element to Hex that he doesn't think he deserves to take his uniform off, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sort of the Aldo the Apache kind of thing. Right. That he thinks, hey, I I deserve to be hated immediately when I walk because I hate what I did. I hate what I was a part of. And uh, he's really good at killing, but you get the impression he doesn't like that. I mean, he. I think the thing is he probably likes killing people, but he doesn't like that he likes it. Yeah. There's that part of him. He's really good at one thing. And... I think he enjoys his work, but I think he hates himself for enjoying it. Yeah. So um, now with that taken care of, he's going to track down uh, this cart that he saw taken out there with this wizard man in it and follows him to, I think it's Lubbock, Texas, is the name of the nearby town. And he sees that it's Doc Cross Williams we talked about before. This is a guy he's putting on, not only selling what is his good brown serum. Yes. Yeah. And I like what all you can say about it is that it's brown, (laughs) but he has these weird physical feats of all of the people in his menagerie of zombies, including how the, uh, this large woman is like agile as a fox and, um, the, the tall, skinny tattooed man can lift her up and, uh, the juggling of this little person with the funny 
jack-o'-lantern helmet that he's always wearing. <laughs> but it's just like, hey, they take the good brown serum and then they're just fit as a fiddle. Well, what the fascinating part is, is that um, uh, Hex, like everyone else, is sort of entranced by this show. And when you're seeing Doc Cross's dialogue, it's in these crazy... The, the block type, the letterer had a lot of fun with this because he's doing these rhymes. So yeah. he's, he's spit and written this guy. He's like, he's got some, some hypnotic sort of rhyming verse to try to sell his serum and the show. And he's got everyone sort of dazzled. And you have, there's like little colored stars that separate the spit. They're like kerning some of the words apart from each other. And it's, it looks crazy. So there's clearly like, like a song and a, hip, a hypnotic song that's being drawn in. And even Hex at a certain point says, you know, these guys are going to get my bullets, but I wouldn't mind buying me one of those. <laughs> like like it, that? It's like, it works on him too. He says like, if that stuff will really get rid of my piles, then I would, he, I'll <laughs> right. buy one of those. I'll, sh- I'll still shoot him. I'm not, Cause, cause I'm, I'm not no a thief. thief. Yes. <laughs> I'm no thief. So the, that, that part was fascinating because, because the, the, uh, there is clearly a magic power afoot by Doc Cross. And also, like, Hex is not immune to it. No, no. And he's more aware of it than other people. But I kind of love the fact that he's like, yeah, I could use one of those. He's still listening to a sales pitch. <laughs> so he he makes a note of that he's not going to just kill these people in the middle of town and draw the ire of a second group of villagers trying to murder him. So he follows them out of town, and he still hasn't seen the gunman that uh, put down uh, Slogo. Right. And it's only but watching it from a distance that he sees them pull Wild Bill Hickok out of a pickle barrel <laughs> where he's being preserved and brought back to life. They pour this gunk down his throat. They chant some stuff over him and he sits up and is there, you know, standing guard over over the camp. And Hex goes in to probably cut this dude's throat. So I've got my one note about the art here, which which the, uh, immediately when I saw it. So there's this whole page where you haven't seen the reveal yet. He's kind of sneaking into... Doc Cross's tent, and he's he. There is a panel that takes up about two thirds of the page, and he it's Hex from head to about waist, and he's got his pistol up in the air, his, his revolver up in the air, and then the second there's an even smaller panel inset over it that where you're seeing his reaction, like seeing his eyes go, going wider. And when I saw that that the, those two panels, the first thing I thought was Duke Togo from Gogo 13. Oh. Because do you know I, I, you probably have seen enough of it to know that there is this archetype of how you how you're looking at the villain while he's holding a gun and it's um it's it's uh, Takao Saito Saito's artwork cuz he's the one who created that character and he all he only draws that character now by that's even guy in his 70s um where there's this it's almost like a pinup right yeah. where there's this um, there's this huge beautifully drawn shot and the gun is in frame with his head, and it's sort of kind of trying to make him more beautiful. And then you've got, um, then you've got the n- reaction shot, which is the next panel, and he's even more like that archetypal action hero guy. And that just struck me as being like, he looks like Duke Togo right here. Yeah, he's like that awesome badass action guy with his gun, and the same that you can see sort of the debonair look on his face. Yeah. even though with Hex, half of it is grotesque. It's, it's all melted. Yeah. Yeah, what I kind of love is that when he goes into the cart where um, Doc Cross Williams is sleeping, he's it's it's like everything is disturbing. Clearly, he fell asleep reading some Lord Byron, which I thought <laughs> yes. was kind of a neat little touch. Yeah. But um, he is sleeping in this bed that he has in there, but there's these two corpses that have been sort of hung from the ceiling and are sort of dangling there. I think these are the guys that he stole from Bud Creek. Yeah. That they're probably airing out so that he can get ready for the process of resurrecting them. 
and um, Hex confronts him. Um, the guy wakes up. He manages to sneak past Hickok, of course, but I, I, you, he gets knocked the fuck out again. Um, yeah, does Doc Cross get a bottle about over the back of his head or something? Yeah, bottle about the back of the head yeah. and knocks him the fuck out. He basically, he basically, well, Hex is he's kind of playing possum, but I don't think that Doc Cross Williams can handle not telling his story. He's surrounded right. by zombies all the time, right. but we've seen he's a talker. And he talks about how he's traveled around. He's kind of like a dirtbag John Constantine mm-hmm. that he picks up pieces of knowledge from this, this like shaman or this voodoo priest or, you know, whatever pieces of magic he can pick up. And that he learned that he could bring people back from the dead. That he found a recipe and the recipe got more more convoluted over time. And so suddenly he'd be like, we'll I have to grind up pe- dead dead people and maybe add like, a little more into them than usual. It's like usual. monkey testicles or yeah. spit. There's like some <laughs> other, other stuff in it that he mixes it with water. He chants over things and forces it down their throat. And that slowly, I think they start to forget themselves. And then by the third day, they're just a zombie, effectively, that they will eventually die this way. It'll eat them out from the inside. And... Um, he plans to do that to Hex. He'll have another famous gunfighter in his collection. And uh, Hex is basically tossed in a pickle barrel. Yeah, he's Beatrix kiddoed in a yeah. pickle barrel. Yeah. And uh, so he's basically thrown in this pickle barrel and as this stuff forced down his throat. He's playing possum a lot more than he is. I think even at one point uh, he's like monologuing to Hex and he's like, just you know, shut your damn mouth and let me pickle in here. <laughs> and he makes himself throw up most of the stuff in him. He still feels really sick. But it's not having the effect that it does and manages to escape by like kicking out the the barrel. And he happens to be right next to a cliff when this happens. So he Oh, that panel is awesome. I love the way that art looks because it yes. looks so fucking dangerous. Yeah. It looks like he's gonna break every bone in his body on the way down. He hits So he's breaking out of the barrel while he's on the, the wagon. And he fa- he falls out of the wagon, rolls down a hill, and then the next the following page that you uh you get to, there's four like I don't even know how you describe these. They're four very they're vertical panels that span the height entirety of the, of the, thing. the entire, yeah. of the page. And the first one is just him tumbling off the cliff and then eventually falling down to the bottom. And each one sort of shows the progression. These long, thin panels that show him falling down. And it's so, but it's of course meant to emphasize how fucking far he's going down yeah. before he hits the bottom. So what happens in a lot of hex stories is, of course, he's found by a kindly man and his son. Who who are nice? Hex says, despite the fact that they pray way too much before they eat. <laughs> yes. uh, they nurse him back to health, and uh, here we get a continuation of something that happens a lot through the course of this story, which is Hex basically telling a joke about what happened to his face. Yeah, it's that it's that Keith, Heath, Heath Ledger's Joker thing, right? Is every single one has a different story? I think the 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 sheriff is the first person who asks him, and he says, "Damn toothpick slipped." <laughs> And then the bartender asks, and he's like, cut myself shaven. And uh, I think the little kid, he says something like, you know, bit my cheek, eaten. Yeah. Another one is like, damn, chigger bite. (laughs) It's always something that he sort of brushes it off. Um, They nurse him back to health, and it becomes clear that they know who he is. Yeah. And they know um, what he's going to do. And I think they have one of those cool moments they have in every Western where um, they give him a pair of guns and a horse. Um, I guess it's a, they're lending it, but I don't think they expect to get it back. No. And, uh, they're like, where's he going to go, Pa? The equivalent of that. And he's like, I don't know, but it's going to be a bad day for somebody. (laughs) (laughs) 
And uh, yeah, it's you, you know somebody's going to get shot up, but she, he recognizes who he is. I get the impression that probably there's kind of a Quaker vibe about them. Yeah, they're they're definitely kind of pacifists. They're definitely people that um, there's nobody that they would turn away. They will nurse people back to health. They're just they are maybe the only good people in this entire right. story. And I was going to say that's that also it. You know, the one thing Hex doesn't do is he doesn't just murder them at the earliest opportunity, right? Hex at least has a code, a moral code, where he can be like, well, I'm grateful that they're here, and if anything happened to these people, I'd protect them, right? Oh, yeah. If if they got hurt, he would probably spend days hunting down the people that hurt them. Yeah. So um, Hex manages to track them down again. He, he manages to track down... Um, Doc Williams. And this time Doc Williams had a big lead on him because Hex was out for a while. He was probably out for weeks, maybe. Yeah. So what he's going around and looking for the posters, and that's how he's finding their trail is yeah, all yeah, their the, posters that have like the uh the eye of Ra on them, you know. The Doc Cross Williams, you know, travel and show. And right. um he follows him out of Texas and he says he they ran out of Texas, and there's a lot of Texas. <laughs> ran out of Texas. Um, I think they managed to even go all the way through um New Mexico. Yep. And he's in the like the desert of the Southwest at this point. He's well beyond even towns for like the rest of this story. This is like the beginning of Back to the Future Three. <laughs> That's where my brain goes. But it's like it's this is like some serious Vasquez rocks looking area, right? And he comes across an Apache tribe killing um, a, a U.S. soldier, torturing a torturing a U.S. soldier, yeah. and he recognizes the tribe because Jonah Hex was raised. Um, by a different Apache tribe. And he kind of knows this one, and he says they always make a mess of it. <laughs> it's sort of like they're not as good at torturing as I am, because these guys are kind of sloppy. And this is the part of the story where I'm probably the most uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, the Native American characters, and this is again, I always have a little bit of, maybe this is just inherent to the Western genre, mm -hmm. but it, I would feel bad if I didn't bring this up. Uh, they don't really, aside from the, the woman that rescues him from jail, they don't really get any dialogue. Nope. Um, they're just kind of attacking, attacking the soldiers. I mean, you do see at one point the, the people who, the Apaches who are attacking the soldiers, like you see the son of, the, of one of these guys, him basically saying goodbye to his father, going over the ridge and then starting this attack. Yeah. So you know there's some humanity of like, well, this kid's going to be fatherless too. Like, yeah. it's going to be the cycle of He's his life. He's going up against Hex. Yeah. And this is the part, like I mentioned before, is that Jonah Hex actually does talk a bit about um, about the, the tribe and stuff and says, you know, this is, uh, they have every right to try to kill white people. For everything that they've ever done to them, um, they have every fucking right to try to kill us. Now, I'm not going to not try to kill them back if they try to kill me. Um, so Hex, like, straight up snipes the soldier yeah. uh, to put him out of his misery while he's being tortured. And they take chase against him. He manages to kill a couple of them. They kill his horse. He kills one of them and steals his horse. That <laughs> horse gets killed. Yeah. Um and he manages to escape and sees where the U.S. Army, which had been escorting Doc Cross Williams and his menagerie of zombies across across the desert, have been, they kind of hold, literally hold out in yeah. this giant dugout area. And they're basically under siege by the Apaches that are just attacking them. He ends up basically falling, literally falling into their camp. Like he drops his guns and just collapses down <laughs> the hill and rolls into the hole that they're defending. And now he has to fight side by side with this murderous, like, psychopathic, like, 
conjurer wizard grave robber guy, a bunch of U.S. <laughs> soldiers, and zombie um, Wild Bill Hickok, who <laughs> is riddled with arrows. Yes, I love I love the idea of him just standing up like a robot and being shot with arrows and him firing so much that uh, the guns are empty and they're going click, click, click. And Jonah has to yell to them. You got to load it. Yeah. You've got to load the guns. That when you're a zombie, you're that much of an automaton that you'll do the one thing until you run out of it and you have to be told to reload your gun. (laughs) But I just click, 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 click. And so he reloads it. Um, we get to the, we get to nighttime. That's how long this thing is going on. And Hex is like, they're not going to stop. I think they manage the Apaches decide to kind of call it for a couple hours and they're probably going to go back at nighttime because it's probably safer to attack. Hex has to remind them of being like, well, just because they've gone away for nighttime doesn't mean we're safe. Like they, they will come back when you least expect it. And he's like, oh, this happened to us before. The person who fell asleep was the first one to go. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Hex kind of. I guess another time you have another person who um, kind of, I wouldn't say friends, but he's on a friendly enough basis with Hex, the commander of the soldiers. The Sarge. Yeah, the Sarge. Um, And he's just kind of telling him, you know, hey, this is how this is going to go. And at nighttime, uh, Doc Cross Williams just has enough of it. And he just kind of gets in the cart. They sort of force their way out of there. And while they're getting shot at, it's clear that they have his zombies are trying to fix the wagon. Mm -hmm. They get out of there and sort of force their way out under the cover of all the smoke. Um, I can't imagine how many shots are being fired in this sequence. Right. <laughs> but they fight their way out of it, and um, Hex uh, basically has to escape with the commander under all the smoke and darkness. Um, and it the, the commander does not want to abandon his troops, but Hex is just like, yeah, there's nothing left to... Yeah. You've got no command left. So he, he finds himself a horse and basically grabs him and to escape, grabs Sarge to escape. Yeah, and yeah. then Sarge, of course, like everyone who rides behind <laughs> Hex on a horse, terrible, gets gets shot in the ass. Yeah, he gets shot in the crack, and he <laughs> says something like that. And he says it feels like there's bees in him, and uh, he dies. Hex eventually um, gets to the point that his horse is so exhausted from that, and he knows he's still being followed by the Apache. They're still coming out to kill him, and. Um, he manages to get the horse to run itself to death by using fire yeah. to make it stand up. Yeah. Um, it eventually collapses. He cuts the horse's fucking throat and yes. has to drink its blood. Yes. <laughs> Hex will do whatever it takes to survive. <laughs> it is, it gets, this, this story gets real fucking ugly. Yeah. Um, and he comes across uh, Doc Williams. He finds him farther ahead, and Doc Williams, not being a very savvy guy, has made a campfire <laughs> where he is so desperate to stay alive that he has now killed multiple zombies and is now cooking Ramona, <laughs> the, the fat woman, <laughs> over a fire. Like her torso is it's, on a spit. It's pretty grotesque. That's definitely also one of the wooden fly in the in the uh, comics code era as well. No, yeah, yes. you don't get into full on cannibalism. <laughs> um, but that's how Hex finds him, and Hex even calls him out for being so stupid that you'd make a fire. Of course, now that he's cornered, he has one last zombie cross does to send after Hex, and it's Bill Hickok. At this time, Hex is sort of ready for it. He's not going to get knocked the fuck out a third time in a <laughs> row. Um, and he just kind of ducks when the guy fires because he knows he's not going to outdraw him. Well, he also has formulated a plan of how to kill a, how to kill a zombie who you can just shoot. How do, how do I kill this guy? You know? 
Yeah. So he shoots his eyes out and shoots him in the head repeatedly until he collapses and then his brain just falls out. Well, he 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 finishes his promise to Slogo. Yeah. Because he shot his eyes out. Shot his <laughs> eyes out. So the guy just fucking collapses as just a piece of rotten meat. <laughs> uh, at that point, you know, Doc Doc Williams is just panicking in the way that bad guys in like Dirty Harry movies panic when the the, the tables are turned and he's like squealing and begging for Hex not to kill him. And this Hex actually takes it up on him. But I do count this as a kill. It is a kill. Yes. Um, He shoots him in the knee uh, and just basically the placket is, you know, I'm going to get away from all of this. But they're going to enjoy killing you so much (laughs) that I'm going to slip out using you as bait. And the actual quote from Hex is, because ain't one of them patchies going to miss the fiesta you're going to give them. I reckon on a nice warm day like today, they'll enjoy taking out every treaty that's ever been broken. Every woman the wipes... Uh, every woman the whites have raped, every camp we've plundered, every injustice you can imagine and taken it out on little old you. <laughs> and then he shoots him in his second knee yep. and just takes off and leaves the guy there knowing that um, I'm pretty sure these folks are not going to be uh, won over or impressed by his, his wizard costume. <laughs> and he doesn't even have any of his bodyguards anymore. No. So that leads us to the the epilogue. Of course, Hex, still a fugitive, is uh, he even says that he would uh, drink to him in the next town. And he says, like, here's to you, Doc, you dumb asshole. <laughs> and uh, then, of course, a pair of uh, would-be bounty hunters <laughs> show up. Hex all, outdraws all, them. All you see is their hands on their guns. Yeah. And then they drop and then they're out of the panel. They're out of the yeah, panel. Yeah. It's not even worth showing their faces. <laughs> and uh, Hex wants to know any more takers. And <laughs> nobody wants to. And then he sort of walks off into the sunset. And that's how this this story ends. So what did you think of uh, Jonah Hex two-gun mojo? Uh, I thought, I think the, the I think my initial, my initial sort of shock at seeing the weird menagerie of animated corpses and sort of uh for for doc cross williams was like i was like this is weird but having read the the introduction by joe lansdale of it being like i sort of primed me to know what what to expect and i even thought that the uh i even thought that the inclusion of hickok was kind of dorky until you get to the point where you're just like where what you said is that he's become now a, a collector of rare creatures essentially and of course you would want while bill hickok he would be the showpiece for you know in the same way that the people who collecting postcards of dead outlaws he would be the showpiece to have he'd be the mickey mantle rookie card or whatever and i love the backstory we didn't mention this before there's a little bit of a backstory that he tells hex about how he got the body of wild bill hickok and it was because he shows up in deadwood he shows up in deadwood and um Basically, drunken Bill Hickok was a fucking asshole to him. Uh, he introduces himself, and he's just like, what the hell are you? Because he's dressed in his wizard outfit, and he says, a wizard. And he laughs, and he goes like, a, a lizard? lizard? And, you know, he tries to politely talk, and he's just like, man, he's like hungover, and he does not want to look at somebody dressed like this. And one of Hickok's uh, followers and supporters is like, yeah, you should beat that guy up. So that guy, like, bullies him and throws him outside, so he plots his revenge, but before he can do anything, of course, Bill Hickok is killed at the card table, mm-hmm. but he can still dig him up. Right. <laughs> there was still enough left in, still enough juice left in him. He was still fresh enough that he could reanimate him, even if a lot of his brains are on that card table. I, and I, I love the, the way that they 
brought they bring in the sort of supernatural element is is that um doc cross's his methods are this bizarre like pastiche of lots of other things like he clearly mentions going to for haitian voodoo and there's he's basically chanting to evil spirits too like to elder gods or something right and then he's doing great like he's putting he's pissing into a mortar and pestle you know you're just like what is this mishmash of whatever and even he doesn't quite know why it works he just keeps trying to improve the recipe of how to reanimate these corpses and the inclusion of putting them in a pickle jar is like well i found out very quickly that the corpses start to stink so i had to do the only thing i knew how i put them in a pickle jar so they don't stink yeah i, <laughs> I kind of love the idea that he he learned how to make this stuff and he doesn't really quite remember how to do it but he's got a limited amount and he's trying to save it he knows what to do with it once he has it because his magic is such a hodgepodge of all these different disciplines he's picked up from all these weirdos and mystics over the years. Um, but I do love that when Hex shows up in his um, his tent, you know, inside the cart when he's sleeping to, to confront him, he thinks that at first Hex is the devil because there's just the expectation of all the ungodly shit that I've done. <laughs> that the devil's going to come for me one day and Hex is like, yes. <laughs> But there's actually a line of dialogue that I probably love more than anything else in this uh, book. And it's it's Slogo Smith at the beginning when they find out that they have to wait a couple days for the the sheriff of Mud Creek to get them their money. And uh, Slogo says, you can't just shoot someone and get paid anymore. There's always some kind of paperwork <laughs> hold to you up. Damn Yankee Washington bureaucrats. <laughs> but I just love, <laughs> love you can't just kill people no more. But yeah, I I. I love this story a lot, despite the sort of uncomfortable nature of the treatment of the Native American characters in it. That's the part where I'm like, oh, they could have gotten some dialogue yeah. mixed into this to to make them less more like, I mean, yeah, that's a part of it. But other than that, I also recognize that this is pulp from the 90s, and we're probably a lot less careful about those sort of portrayals back then. And we are kind of dealing with the, the sort of Jonah Hex garbage world. Right. Where- <laughs> yeah. Aside from that, that man and his son who save him and nurse him back to health, it's kind of a ugly nihilistic world, and the art kind of reflects that. That that's what I yeah. like about the Timothy Truman art in this book, is that it makes an ugly world. That it's clearly not the the kind of beautiful Hollywood westerns of the nineteen fifties. Um, people are grimy. They're not especially attractive. Uh, they're dirty. And they're gross. People are yeah. fucking gross in um, this world. I, the the there's also another thing that I need to mention, and it doesn't it doesn't bear anything in particular except sort of thematically. There is they decided to include some actual pictures, some actual daguerreotypes of some of them are like a line of Indians, or some of them are maybe some of those original pictures where people did take pictures of dead bodies that they're sort of peppered in to in some of the panel art in places where it's not strictly necessary for the story but it gives you a little bit more of a visual sense of the world that Jonah Hex is supposed to take place in and I thought that was such a weird choice because how often do you ever have a comic book try to integrate real photographs of what it's trying to portray it doesn't happen very often it's not often and I think it's a nice little touch and I think it's those little kind of organic bits that aren't necessarily flattering it's not just gross out humor i want to clear that up it it feels a bit the way game of thrones can do that sometimes where game of thrones is one of the few fantasy stories where somebody might be carrying a bedpan in it (laughs) where that's the sort of stuff that usually happens like you're never going to see aragorn poop 
That's just not going to happen. Aragorn does poop. Sure. But you're not going to see it. But there's like a bit in this one where um, during the moment where there's uh, the sort of the siege with the Apaches are attacking them. He gets a rifle and is loading it up and he walks back Doc Cross, who is taking a dump in what seems to be a pail. <laughs> and you can see it's in that little touch because uh, Half Pint, the guy with the jack-o'-lantern hat, is clearly tearing the pages out of a Sears catalog <laughs> yeah. to use his toilet paper for him. That's so awesome. And it's little things like that. Those are those little organic moments that just make the world feel real. These little indignities that these characters have that you don't see in a lot of, I guess you could say, clean westerns. Right. Where this feels a bit more sort of the Game of Thrones, the HBO's Rome, uh, Deadwood right. kind of vibe to it. But this is one where, you know, this is a this is a story where somebody might fart or somebody, uh, when they get shot, it looks really bad. You know, there's yeah. there's no good way to die cleanly and have a nice, uh, tranquil death. It just I'm, doesn't happen. I mean, the there are things that have like when the, uh, the Native American woman who he escapes with she event you you see him find her and she's fallen off of her horse and and you see her body just from her sort of face her eyes just her eyes and her mouth are open and you're just seeing insects flying around her face and so that's you you know that she's done for um those those so that sort of ugliness or um i think maybe one of the it might have been one of the guys who he forces to lick the boots off he he decides to go back and have his horse stomp on the face of the of the guy and break all the teeth out of his face. Yeah, just because fuck you, fuck you. Yeah, that's 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 Jonah. He- it's like those are the, that's Jonah Hex's coat of arms. It just <laughs> says fuck you on it. But it's but it's so satisfying, right? Yeah. It's so because like they of course they all deserve it. Yeah, I mean this is what we've talked about before. Whether it's John Wick, it's any kind of vigilante revenge film, the sort of death wish sort of moment, which is that the hero does terrible things to the bad guys, but they, they sort of prime it by making the bad guys really fucking awful. Yeah. That they, they're just terrible to the degree. And this is by design. Uh, they're created so that you don't feel bad when this sort of justice is meted out to them. Of course. Because they feel like they deserve it. Yeah. And in this way, the, the world works really well. And I'd say, I don't know, Mike, you've read a lot more of it than I do. Do you think that the, um, the sort of the vertigo hex, sort of bleeds well into the do you think the the sort of addition of other stuff works well for Jonah Hex or is it still the supernatural yeah the mean? supernatural bit yeah um i think so i think there are other supernatural characters there's a character called El Diablo right. who right. has supernatural powers that shows up sometimes in hex stories and we know that Jonah Hex lives in the same universe where you know superman is going to be a thing right in 150 years and we know that at this time somewhere in the galaxy a green lantern is fighting an enemy in space and i mean this stuff does exist in his world that said i kind of like the idea of keeping it sort of separate that yeah, the stories the stories that jonah hex has are like 95 percent supernatural free so when it does happen when the supernatural does sort of encroach on a, a hex story it feels like an event. It feels like right. it's special. And I don't want it to happen so often that it becomes a regular thing. I mean, it's more fun if Hex is going to get involved in a time travel story and meet the Justice League. Mm-hmm. That should happen in the Justice League book, not in the Hex book. Yeah, I mean, it It, it does. I do like how grounded it is. Because, I mean, even though it's fantastical, it's still grounded in the fact of this guy 
is not some kind of he's not from another planet or something he's uh the the, the wizard the he's from here and he just happened to like find weird stuff that happens and combine them together with you know the latest in pickling technology <laughs> right to be able to to be able to make it work and you're right i i think we had said this before is it would be really weird if hex goes into a town and there's like a flying superhero guy who is dressed in mid nineteenth century clothing? Yeah, it wouldn't wouldn't make that much it should, sense. It should happen so rarely that it feels like the universe is breaking. And I said I compared this to a Conan story before, where Conan is not surprised if a wizard shows up in his story, but Hex is because yeah. it feels like there's been some kind of suspension of the normal laws of reality when he encounters stuff like this. Now he takes it in stride way better than I would, right? But he still understands that something weird is happening. And that's how I kind of want it to be. It's kind of like, the, you know, the first book of Game of Thrones where they're in the prologue, there's a supernatural element involving the White Walkers, but then you don't see anything supernatural for like 350 pages. <laughs> and then when something happens again, it feels like shocking. Mm-hmm. It feels like, and even the characters, believably, you're just like, I don't think this is the world that I live in. This doesn't feel right. And there's the way that if you did see real life magic, especially like corpses coming back, that it would freak you the fuck out. Yeah. So it, there's that element of it. Uh, I kind of like keeping it special enough that you can retain that feeling where maybe Hex has seen this more than once before, but the reader should feel like it's still like, this is weird. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as long as we keep that, I'm fine with it. There, uh, I, I'm definitely some props to the way that this comic works is because obviously this integrates integrates things that would come from horror comics into what's a traditional Western comic, you know, um, and I think it does it pretty well. You yeah. know, it get it does go off the rails, but where it ends up is somewhere that's not very mysterious. It doesn't end up with like Jonah Hex going into the underworld or whatever. No, he ends up in the middle of a fight in the desert. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a grounded kind of supernatural <laughs> yeah. Yeah. where even the the kind of magic isn't like you know Harry Potter Doctor Strange magic. It's closer to sort of the Constantine type where. Yeah. It's a ritual. It's weird stuff. I'm mixing stuff around in a bowl, and I don't quite fully understand it, even though I'm wielding it. Yeah. And I kind of like that because it makes magic feel gross and dangerous. Yeah, it's just if space aliens landed, it would not feel as good as this does. So, yeah, yeah. So now is the time for us to get into the Jonah Hex kill count. Oh yes. So uh, we haven't done this in a while, but for where we left off, Jonah Hex in the three episodes that we had covered before had dispatched <laughs> forty-one people. Oh, so okay. that's where this this count begins. So I didn't. I'm, I know that you'd normally do this, and you probably go through and try to record. In all the places that it happens. I did. I, I just, you can see here, I just did chicken scratch marks. And my total was 22. Is that yours? I got 24. Okay. All right. Let's go through it. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the first one that I got up in there, because, you know, Hex, it took him a while to get rolling in this miniseries. But yes. once he did, he made up for lost time. <laughs> uh, the first one is three Mud Creek Townies in the post-jailbreak fight. Sure. Uh, one of them is shot in the head and shoulder with a revolver. Another one takes a blast in the chest with a sawed-off shotgun. And then, then the other one, the townie with a checkered jacket who tries to get the photographer <laughs> to take a shot of him, um, that guy is shot between the eyes. Yep. Uh, then we have the photographer who, yep. when Hex is charging at him, tries to pull a Derringer on Hex, <laughs> and Hex just shoots him in the chest with a revolver. Then there's the saloon owner who gets double blasted in the stomach and shot in the dick <laughs> with both the revolver and the shotgun while being ridden down. That's my favorite kill yep. in the miniseries. Yep. 
And then uh, while he's being followed into the woods, there's three more Mud Creek townies yeah. that get killed. There is one who gets shot in the head with a shotgun after Hex drops out of the tree at him. <laughs> um, then there's the old woman that gets shot in the stomach and another guy who gets shot in the head with a revolver. Yep. Uh, then we get one more townie who was uh, uh, earlier seen to meeting the Native American woman. He is shot through both of his eyes <laughs> with the revolver and the shotgun, and then his head is ridden over. <laughs> that's like a that's a good silver medal yes. for kills in this yep, one. Yep. Um, then we have the one bounty hunter in Lubbock, Texas, at the saloon who has the bounty poster for Hex. Mm-hmm. Um, he's shot with a revolver. Uh, then we have uh, one soldier in New Mexico, the one who's being tortured by the Apaches, and Hex puts him down with a shot from the distance. Uh, this is a mercy kill, but yep. he still took this guy's life. I see that. Um, then there's five Apache warriors. Um, there's the two that were torturing the soldier. Uh, one more in the head with a revolver while he's fleeing on horseback. Um, another one while he's uh, with a revolver while he's pinned down behind his dead horse uh, and falling off a cliff. And that that guy's that guy's falling from an overhead one, and then uh, one more point blank in the face while he's stealing that guy's horse. Okay. Uh, during the siege, he kills uh, four more Apache. Uh, then finally, the zombified corpse corpse of Wild Bill Hickok. Even though he's not truly alive, we should still count it. We still count it. He yep. still fought that guy and shot him in the head multiple times, putting out his hide, his eyes and making his brain fall out. <laughs> I just it's just like, it's, it, it might as well make a squish noise. It's so gross. And then finally, Doc Cross Williams, he shoots out uh, both of his knees and leaves him for dead with the approaching Apache. Right. So even though even though he doesn't get the kill. And even if the Apaches ran away, he would die in the desert. So yeah. is he, it's definitely his kill. We have precedent on this show that if he creates and orchestrates a scenario that gets somebody killed, that he gets credit for it. Yeah. If, if Hex hadn't been there, he'd still be alive. So I got 22. I think I missed a couple of the Apaches. Okay. And then the, the last two were the two bounty hunters yes. at the end. Is those, those the two you missed? No, I think I missed a couple of the Apaches, I think. Okay. So yeah. all together with all of those, that is 24 kills for this miniseries. That's huge. That is, that <laughs> is half of what... An industrious serial killer manages, <laughs> and in wow, it takes decades. This is like somebody who's who's on the lamb for a long time. And this is just a fortnight in Jonah Hex's story. Yeah, this is just one <laughs> one miniseries, one five issue miniseries. So if we add that to the kills, the forty one kills that we had previously from the first three episodes of this series, the confirmed kill count of Jonah Hex is now sixty five people. Mm. Sixty-five people that are dead because of Jonah Hex. <laughs> I want to know when he crosses the John Matrix mark. Oh, because we, we should we should find out what that what that is. And when I he... think we're pretty close to it. I think oh. I think somebody did a, a kill count on Arnold. Um, it's actually I believe they're called the Oral Dots. Oh um, yeah, 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 yeah. They've got a lot of great videos on YouTube. Check it out. Look up the Arnold Schwarzenegger kill count. There's two videos they have on this. There's just the kill count, and then there's a kill count with their commentary. Both of them are so worth watching. <laughs> But the kill count on Commando wipes all of his other movies off. The, of course, and it I does. think this is comparable to <laughs> to the amount of of people killed by one character. Um, wow, Jonah Hex. So <laughs> that was Hex and Vertigo. There's yeah. two more miniseries for us to check out later on. I mean, we've got a lot of space. We should not spend two years in between doing Hex and Violence. Yeah, let's try to get at least one of these in on a year. Sure, because it's sure. a lot of fun. It's it's fun to. To follow a murderous cowboy who is impossible to kill. 
I mean, I, when I was reading it through this time, I just finished rewatching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I realized that you like the Jonah Hex character in similar ways while you like Cliff Booth. Yeah. Um, Cliff Booth is Brad Pitt's character from uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where Cliff Booth clearly lives in a different world, obviously. Um, he's a, in a world where he can't just kill someone because he's annoyed, but Cliff Booth if he has the opportunity to, he is going to murder you and he's going to enjoy doing it. He is a death machine. <laughs> it just, it takes the right scenario to take the safety off of Cliff Booth. But I get that kind of vibe here. There's also a sense Cliff Booth has done some shit in his life. Yeah. I, someone said that, uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino wanted to write an entire movie of what Cliff Booth did during the second world war. And it <laughs> oh sounds God. like it would be amazing. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> So I want to uh, thank you guys for uh, joining us for the return of Hex and Violence. Oh, let's do more. Let's oh. do more. And a special thank you to our Patreon episode sponsors. We now currently have 11 of them. Yes. Holy shit. It's awesome. Holy shit. So special thank you to Larry Brunswick, Margaret King, Tim Batson, Zuri Russell, Sterling Taylor, Tom the Belgian, Gus Lindgren, Jim Newman, Sinjin, David Gutierrez, and Calzone. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate your support. If you want to become a Patreon sponsor, check us out on patreon.com slash radio versus the Martians or on our website at radio versus the Martians.com. There's going to be a link to our Patreon on there. Please check it out. If you sign up for even just a dollar a month to support us, you have access to all sorts of original episodes that are only available on Patreon. And we did a whole hell of a lot more of them in 2019 than we'd done in any previous years. So, oh, yeah. It was a yeah. marathon at yes. the end. Yeah. So please, awesome. please go check those out. We appreciate your support. All of you. We love you to death. And until then, we will catch you guys next month. Bye-bye. Hex and Violence is a production of Radio vs. the Martians and is hosted by Mike Gillis and Casey Dorn. This podcast is recorded in beautiful Val Verde in Seattle, Washington. Our chief engineer is Casey Dorn and our editor is Mike Gillis. Our original theme music was written and performed by James Wetzel with opening narration by Dan Lombardo. Special thanks to Sam Mulvey, Rob Kelly, James Wetzel, Paul Rue, Tobias Panshin, Scott Kramer, Kyle Hepworth, and Dan Lombardo. Please take the time to rate and review our show on iTunes and Stitcher and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please consider becoming one of our Patreon subscribers. Even just a dollar a month gives you access to exclusive episodes. And you can always find us online at radioversusthemartians.com. 